Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. A couple of weeks ago, an athlete named Kendall Wessenberg tagged Outsports uh, on an Instagram story. And I, I, I couldn't quite figure out why or how. She, she just It was just a, 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 an Instagram story of her and a teammate. And I thought, okay, that's really nice of this Team USA athlete and Olympian to tag us. I went back a couple days later and realized, oh, I went to her Instagram handle and saw pictures of her and her girlfriend. And things started adding up. Kendall competes in a, a sport called skeleton. And you might be wondering, how do you even get into skeleton or what is skeleton? Well, trust me, we start the podcast asking Kendall about that. Also ask her about what it was like to be part of the 2018 Winter Olympic Games when LGBTQ athletes were being celebrated so much. Major headlines from Brittany Bow and Adam Rippon and Gus Kenworthy. So we talked to her about that and what the future holds for her with the 2022 Winter Olympic Games, hopefully just two years out. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olympian Kendall Wessenberg. Well, I'm here with Kendall Wessenberg. Kendall, I guess the question on everyone's mind is, what the heck is skeleton? <laughs> yeah, that's usually the place to start. Um, <laughs> I guess the quick way, if I'm meeting a person in passing and they ask what I do, I say I do skeleton, to which usually no one has any idea. Or if you get the, oh, cool, you know, they probably don't know. Um, and if they ask further, you say, like luge, and they usually still don't know. And then you say, like bobsled, and they usually still don't know. But then if you go, have you seen cool running? They're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So... <laughs> So if you can get them to cool runnings, you're like, I basically do that, but by myself with my face in front. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> starts the whole conversation from there. But yeah, it's essentially one person face first sledding. So that's my job. So it, it's, it's, I mean, and, and of course I'll, I'll offend you and everything with this question, but <laughs> is, is it, is it, is it luge, but on your stomach facing forward? Is it the same yep. equipment? Um, different sleds, similar in how we drive using our bodies. Luge has a bit more control um, and can take very specific lines. Skeleton's a little more improvisation and figuring out how to make the best of a bad line. But yeah, essentially we do the reverse luge. Uh, how many times have you planted face first into a track? I mean, does, does that not happen? Um, oh no, it happens a lot actually. Um, so when you're under G-forces, your face is stuck to the ice anyway. So people are always like, oh, your face is like an inch off the ice. And it is an inch off the ice if there's no G-forces on you. But in any turn that you're in, your face is usually dragging. So you bash your face quite a bit. And then if the pressure lets up and then pushes you back down, that's a pretty good smack. If you come out of a corner really abruptly and knock your face that way, you take, take a little couple hits to the head each week <laughs> and to be clear you're you're wearing a, a mask that's totally protecting your face and your head right yeah we have a helmet on um it's not yeah. anything heavy duty like you would imagine but it it mostly prevents from those little taps and scrapes causing significant damage so nothing nothing too bad i mean there are the wipeouts every season that you see 
where someone does have a head injury, um, but typically the helmets protect from a majority of those. How do you get into a sport like skeleton? I mean, you know, it's easy to understand how somebody, you know, played football all their lives or ran track since junior high school. I imagine skeleton did not come around until later. How, how do you get started in a sport like that? Yeah, so basically for me, it was that I had the exact same question. So I typed it into an internet search engine and came back to the page of USA Bobsled and Skeleton and was just trying to figure out how people go from normal sports like we grew up playing in the U.S. to Bobsled and Skeleton. And essentially, you're just a norm, quote unquote, normal athlete that we um, take and figure out if you have skills to drive a sled. So it's pretty much saying, yeah, I want to do this, and then showing some athletic ability and then seeing if those two things combine and um, you enjoy going down an icy hill all winter. But why skeleton? What what about <laughs> skeleton like drew you to it? Was Is it getting like your, your head smashed against ice for what, <laughs> three minutes? Yeah, I guess it, it wasn't, the appeal wasn't in getting my face smashed into the ice, but the fact that that didn't bother me was probably pretty helpful. Um, it looked like fun. I grew up playing soccer my whole life. I knew that was kind of over for me. And I happened to catch skeleton, or I caught bobsled on TV actually, and found skeleton through that Google search I was talking about. Um, and just, yeah, I felt like it was something I wanted to try. I wanted to know if I could be good at. And in the US, it's a sport we start later. So I kind of fit that age group of where they start recruiting. So figured why not, you know? <laughs> Did you, were you involved? I mean, you grew up in California. Were you involved in winter sports like skiing or snowboarding or, or anything where you, where you were going down a very cold hill when you were growing up? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, my mom grew up skiing. We all grew up skiing. My brother raced on a ski team for a couple of years. So we spent a lot of time in the snow. I went to the University of Colorado. So I was, I loved winter sports and mountain sports. So there's definitely already that appeal, but Obviously, like you said, no one grows up doing bobsled or skeleton unless you happen to be living near Park City, Utah or Lake Placid. So, um, yeah, I, I had an interest in winter sports. I liked mountain sports. I like speed. I like adrenaline. Um, but skeleton definitely came along later and was just something I kind of said, why not to? <laughs> so you, you graduate from CU Boulder. Where are you living when you start looking into this? Yeah, I was still in Boulder when I found it because um, the 2010 games were at, in the middle of my sophomore year, I believe. And so um, saw it on TV, thought it looked cool, looked it up, sent the coaches an email, got invited to a combine, and then went to a driving school in January of my junior year. So my third year of school, went to sliding school, which is basically they take you halfway up the track, and we call it tourist start, so we can send pretty much anybody from there. They hold onto your legs and tell you basically, look where you want to go. And so you go down, and it takes you like 45 seconds. Um, and when you get off at that point, it's like, did you enjoy it or not? And they say there's, you know, 50-50 maybe. I don't know, probably less than that. But 
some people are like, that was awesome. Let's go faster. And some people are like, I'm good. I'm going home. I tried it. That's it for me. So I was obviously the first one. Um, and then you start working your way up the track and learning more on how to drive. And yeah, it's, it's a interesting little world for sure. So, so you were still in college when you started participating in this? Yeah, sorry, I guess that's where the question started. But yeah, I was still in Boulder um, when I gave it a shot, graduated from school, and then I moved to Park City to pursue it um, more full-time after I graduated. So is this, is this your full-time job? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's been, there's been other jobs to make ends meet. Olympic sports aren't always as high paying as people would assume a professional athlete is. Um, but I've lived in a dorm, you know, so I didn't have a lot of costs. I've been on our World Cup team for the last five years. So I've found ways to, to make it be my full-time job. And then I just do kind of side odd jobs to make ends meet where I need to. How has this, uh, the pandemic we're in the middle of, how has it disrupted your sport? I imagine you must have been in the middle or at the tail end of your season, and then all of a sudden it's over? Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, I think bobsled and skeleton uh, were some of the most fortunate sports in the way that all broke down. We really only had one race left. We had already wrapped up our international seasons, and we had finished world championships. So the only race that it affected for us was national championships, um, which obviously is a bummer to miss out on. But in the scheme of the impact all the other sports felt, we we definitely got lucky in that sense. We only missed one race. How, how has being out on your team, uh, I guess not how, but has it had any impact on you and your teammates and your relationships with them? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I came into the team when I was 23, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not really been, I guess I haven't really known any different. I don't feel that there's been any, um, different treatment or anything of that sort for me. Um, Skeleton is a pretty small team, but my teammates have all been super supportive and really there's not a noticeable difference, I don't think. You know, I, I follow the uh, I follow the Olympics. I watch every year. We write about it every year, um, or every year, every two years. And uh, you know, I, I have to say that until I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the listeners this story. Um, we got tagged by Kendall in uh, an Instagram post, um, and I was like, "Why is she, I don't even understand why this athlete is tagging us? Like, what?" <laughs> and then. Finally, after the third time scrolling through her Instagram uh, uh, photos, I was like, oh, she has a girlfriend. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. Because for whatever reason, I, I, one and one was not equaling two for a while. Um, and so yeah. I, admittedly, had not heard of you before, or I had in, over the last couple of years forgotten the name. Um, do you consider yourself publicly out like, like, I have no secrets, you know, I, my life's an open book, I'm out, out, out. Or is it something different for you? No, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I'm very out. Um, everyone in my life that I know or knows of me is aware. I've never tried to hide it. Um, I think the tricky part of it is that 
I guess I would identify mostly as bisexual. Um, so I have dated guys and I've dated girls. Um, and so a lot of people who have known me have maybe only known the guys that I've dated or whatever their version of who I am is. Um, and I'm definitely a bit more reserved in my whole life and everything that I do. I'm not going to be the first person to tell you that I'm an athlete or that I'm an Olympian or that I'm any of these things, you know, that I fit. Um, so it hasn't been anything that I've been intentional about putting out there, but I definitely feel that I'm, I'm pretty open with it. I'm always willing to have that conversation or get into, I love <laughs> deep conversations about sexuality and identity and all of those sorts of things. So anytime I'm given the opportunity, I love having those conversations, but I do get how, you know, it also probably didn't help that the picture I tagged you guys in was me and my guy teammate, Andrew. Um, it's like a piggyback couple shoot pretty much is what it looks like, but we just enjoyed buddy pictures. So um, it was a cute one that I haven't posted yet. Yeah, that, that, that was a cute one. It was, it was, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. Um, why is it that these conversations about sexuality interest you so much? I just, yeah, I think any, any conversation, even, you know, political conversations, um, sexuality conversations, religious conversations, anything that's big and conceptual and doesn't necessarily have a black and white or a right answer is um, something intriguing to me. I like, I love that you can just talk about it forever and people can see it all sorts of different ways. And I like hearing people's views on things. So I just think there's so much there to talk about. And I learn something new every time I have a conversation about it. And um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I find it interesting too. And it's, I, I'm always disappointed yeah. when I talk to people who, who look at sexuality as black and white. And yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know what your life journey and that of everyone around you is, but I know for me, I dated women in college and, um, mm -hmm. you know, even though I call myself a gay man now, for me to, 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 to claim that uh, somewhere in between isn't uh, a real thing or, um, you know, isn't somebody's true self is, is, would just be foolish. And I kind of feel bad for the people who, who do look at these things as black and white and everything else is just, you know, oh, well, you're just, you're kind of stuck in purgatory while you figure out which one you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that just doesn't make sense to me either. It never really has. Um, it was probably one of the most confusing things about figuring out what my sexual identity was in general, you know, because I think it's easy for people to understand one way or the other, but the in-between or whatever that looks like um, for each individual person is complicated and complex and not something you can always just fit inside a box. So um, definitely an interesting conversation. Okay, everybody, well, hang tight. Uh, we've got a couple commercials and we'll be right back with Kendall. Okay, we're back with Kendall Wessenberg. Uh, Kendall, you know, you're, you're, you're bisexual dating a woman now. How did you meet your current girlfriend? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess this whole interview is just gonna sound like a, I'm a super millennial, which I guess that I am. I learned <laughs> found my sport through, found my sport through a Google search and uh, my girlfriend and I actually met through Instagram. So. Uh, I had liked a video of hers that popped up on my explore page and she saw my account and sent me a message. I guess I posted um, a picture of some cool mountains when we were in St. Moritz a year ago. 
And she responded to that and started a conversation and led to texting and then a phone call. And then at some point I just decided uh, we either needed to meet in person or it wasn't going to go anywhere. So I flew to Nashville where she lives and we went on a date and we've been dating for a little over a year now. It's so funny. The, uh, the social media, uh, like flirty tag team that goes on. Ooh, I like that one. Bloop. And then you're just yeah. waiting, waiting to see, I guess, like, is she going to like a photo of mine? And then she likes maybe, <laughs> maybe she likes two of yours, which says, Oh, right. oh okay. Yes. All right. Now it's on. Totally. And yeah. And it was like, apparently, so I liked her video and then she followed me pretty quickly after that, I guess, but somehow I didn't see that. So when she messaged me, it went to my like pending direct messages. So I don't know. The internet's a crazy place, but some cool stuff comes out of it. How do you navigate a relationship that's based in Nashville, you're based in Colorado, and then you're, you're flying around Europe and North America for much of half the year? How do you navigate that? <laughs> Yeah, great question. Uh, I think that's that's an ongoing process. Uh, my girlfriend's a musician, so it helps that we both don't have very typical lives. We can relate on a lot of those things, um, but not to say that it's easy. When we're in Europe, I think we're seven hours ahead of her. So she's getting up as I'm going to dinner, and we have a no phone policy at team dinners. And so then I have, you know, maybe an hour after dinner where I can chat, and we have bad Wi Fi in a lot of our hotels. and um yeah so long story short it's it's super complicated um communication matters finding time has been really important um and then she was able to come to two of my races this season and i'll spend the off season in nashville at some point when <laughs> this all passes coronavirus passes <laughs> how was this past season for you um it was a tough season honestly i had a hip surgery uh, a year ago in April. Um, so I was coming back from that and we had a whole new World Cup team with a bunch of new athletes. So we were just kind of reworking a bunch of stuff. Our federation got a new CEO. So there's a bunch of stuff in change and in limbo and trying to sort things out and make it work day to day on top of coming back <laughs> from hip rehab. So yeah, my girlfriend definitely uh, heard all about it, but she was great through the process. But it was it was a tough season. I think I finished 11th in the world, which is okay. I had a couple decent results, but not not where I want to be. And there are definitely a couple frustrating moments. You know, as you're talking about um, a disappointing season, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I don't know. Bobby didn't crack the top 50. You're like, I was 11th in the in the world <laughs> right for it, and that was a disappointing yeah. season. That's that's yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's one of those things that you get out of the season and you're like, okay, I mean, I did, you know, I pulled off this result here and this result here. It's just the week in, week out, I think there's like a a five-week stretch there where I just was underperforming. There was, <laughs> there was just no way around it. I was yeah. outside of the top 15 and just had flood frustrations and speed frustrations and couldn't figure stuff out. And, um, so at the end of it, it's nice to look back and be like, okay, it wasn't as bad as it felt, but the week in and week out of it is always um, hard to keep that perspective, I think. Take me to the 2017-18 season where you, um, yeah, what point did you realize, 
I'm going to represent the United States of America in the Olympic Games. Um, I think when I walked into opening ceremonies, <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, that's, I think, one of the coolest things about the Olympic journey that people probably aren't, aren't super aware of is the qualifying processes. Um, and, you know, USA Swimming has one big national meet. USA Track and Field has one big national meet. So those make it very cut and dry. This person qualified, this person didn't. But when you get into some of the other sports, there's so many different sets of criteria based on your international governing body and your specific like team governing body. And those break down throughout the course of a season. So for, for bobsled and skeleton, you race a team trials. So that selects you to the U.S. national team. So you have to do well there. But then if you make the top three of that, you're on World Cup, and now you have to go compete against the rest of the world for seven races to qualify still. So those four races against just the U.S. team, obviously you feel good if you come out of there top three with the chance to fight for top international points. But then you have five weeks straight of international races where everyone is fighting for whatever their set of qualifying procedures are. Um, and we had qualified two sleds for sure, and our third sled had to qualify themselves, so they're racing every other third-ranked sled from any other nation, and only two of those get to go. So it's a constant, it's just very confusing. I know this is the best way I've figured out to explain it, and it's still not clear, but basically we were racing. <laughs> we were, I had a really, I had a really good point lead on where I needed to be going into Christmas break that year, so like the end of December 2017. But we had two more races that counted for qualifying starting in January that year. So I think technically I was named to the Olympic team uh, January, like, 21st. And then opening ceremonies was, like, February 10th. <laughs> so you have, like, what is, two weeks that, after you qualify till you go to the game? Three weeks? two or three weeks. How do you – are you already mentally prepared? I mean, I assume Team USA takes care of all your travel, all your accommodations. You just have to get on a plane, grab your sled, and go. Essentially, yeah. But we were still in our final race week. So while that eighth World Cup didn't count for qualifying, we still were racing it for international standing and where our team sat like, the next year. So we had to finish that race week. Then we flew back to D.C., went through Under Armour like team processing where they gave us all of our kits and showed us all this cool stuff and got to be on site for the day. Then we did a fundraiser in DC and then we flew out to a holding camp for about a week before we went over to Korea. So you're just like, you're trying to process and regroup. And I actually had a really tough season that year as well. Um, just struggling week in and week out was kind of the same stuff I struggled with this season, which is silly that I didn't learn my lesson, but um <laughs> You know, you, you finally make it, and I think for me it was just like I have to forget everything else about this season. I have to forget that I did all these other things and just focus on this one race. You know, you kind of turn everything around and all of the qualifying stuff gets put behind you and everyone has the same chance at this one race in the Olympics. At the Olympics in Pyeongchang, it seemed like from from the American perspective that LGBTQ athletes were a hot topic. They were here during the games. Were yeah. you observing that there or were you just so focused on your sport you didn't even know what was going on? 
Yeah, I think you you definitely see it there. The Olympics are interesting because you're you're basically like watching news cycles happen. It felt like to me. I'd never been obviously on any level of that competition before, or any skeleton races don't have the press that we have at the Olympic Games, um, which might be you know super surprising to some people. But it uh yeah it was it was interesting to see like certain stories get picked up or when people would meddle the attention you know the attention kind of shift and the narratives shift but it was really cool to be a part of a team where you know lgbtq plus rights were kind of at the forefront and acknowledged and accepted and um yeah obviously like adam got quite a bit of press too and gus was out that time and so yeah it was you definitely were aware of it but there were a ton of it's you know it's the olympics there's all those stories of everyone whatever any athlete went through and people meddling and overcoming stuff so what would it mean to you to represent the united states at the olympic games as a and i understand that you say you've been you've been out um never hidden anything but to be a an athlete celebrated as being part of the lgbtq community because after this podcast there are going to be a lot more people who know about you what would it be like for you to be at the olympics with people talking about you as part of team lgbtq and not just team usa yeah you know i i think anytime you represent something bigger than yourself is such a cool honor and a cool spot to be in um i think that you know while we've talked about it a little it's not i don't love to be I don't think many people love to be like boxed into any one category. I think that, you know, if you do still fit, like if that is true to who you are, then it's cool to be someone who can be a face of that and someone who can be kind of on the other side of in a healthy relationship or whatever that looks like. Um, so to have the opportunity to to be a voice or a face for that is really cool. And if it helps other people, feel comfortable with who they are, figure out what their identity is or um, any of that. It's, it's incredible. At Outsports, our tagline is courage is contagious because over the years we've seen uh, when we share the stories of athletes, somebody gets so much out of it that they come out in their life and they become more comfortable with who they are. And then that person inspires someone else. And, and we've over the years seen that spread across sports. So that's why we love telling these stories, even if some athletes are like, eh, I don't really need all the attention, but uh, I'm willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. Right. It's like, I love that courage is contagious and it's true. And in, in anything, I, I love people who are authentic. Right. I think everyone relates to people who are authentic and figuring out how to be authentic in your own life um, is one of the coolest things. And if, if seeing someone else do it or seeing something you can relate to helps that, then, then that's awesome. Kendall, I end every interview with the same two questions. I know you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, so we'll skip that one. Yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, that doesn't hurt me too much. <laughs> oh, no, we're through. We're through. Uh, <laughs> it's over. We're still but I always ask, who is an Olympian who has inspired you? That's a tough question, I think, because now a bunch of my friends <laughs> technically are Olympians, um, which is a crazy world to live in. And so many of them do incredible things on a daily basis, some of which, you know, get pressed, some of which don't. Um, but going back to 
really inspiring me. I think as a kid, um, I grew up in Modesto, California, and the women's national soccer team was obviously a big deal kind of around my elementary school years and the 99ers, and they played obviously in the Atlanta games. Um, and there's a player on that team named Tisha Venturini who grew up in my neighborhood. Um, and I think seeing her be from literally the block that I was from and doing what she was doing and seeing that female athletes were were a feasible career path and something that, you know, you could aspire to and being on that level of, oh, that really could be me. I think, I think that was huge for me growing up and in my life. Almost everyone has a different one. I think there have been two Michael Phelpses, but I think it's amazing talking to people how how many different people have, have are inspired. And then again, it goes back to that courage is contagious. You never know when you're inspiring somebody to just be courageous and 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 do great things. So it's just it's just neat to hear. I, I love that question because it's always something different. Yeah, totally. And I could have probably answered it 15 different ways if you gave it to me another day in a row. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know you're stuck back in Modesto, living in grandma's house, working out of your mom's garage. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope that comes to an end soon for you and you can get back on the ice. Thanks. I mean, kind of living the dream here, though, so it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, ice would be cool too. And a, a return to normalcy, I'm sure, would be great for everyone. You can follow Kendall on Instagram or Twitter at Kendall Lorraine, but it just might be easier if you'd search for Kendall, two L's. Wessenberg, spelled like it sounds, because there aren't many Kendall Wessenbergs running around. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kendall, and be sure to check out other Outsports podcasts. I, uh, I happened to be the guest this past weekend on the Sports Kiki with Alex Reamer, and we talked some NFL and football. Uh, I hope you're well and safe, and we'll talk to you next week.